Talking about Brazil, the home of soccer, the five-time champions, the Pentacampeões, they are number five in the preview, uh, joined by a longtime fan, Robert, or should I call you Roberto? Uh, do you think it's I have- It's funny. <laughs> uh, most of my, um, when I was a kid growing up, most of my Brazilian friends would call me Robert or Hobbit, right? But most of my- English-speaking friends would call me Roberto because I was from Brazil. So, of course, that's what they thought it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they've got uh, a great team. I just don't really have them ranked that highly because of Neymar. So what do you think of Neymar? Uh, I don't want to share too much of my thoughts, but I think he's a weakness. I think they rely on him too much. And I think he's a distraction off the field. I don't even think he should start. But what do you think? You're a fan of the team. Should we drop Neymar? And is Brazil much better than I give him credit for? So I think it's it's fair to say that um, their over-reliance on him is a weakness. I'm not sure I would call him a weakness. But, you know, you know being a Brazil fan, particularly uh, – once I got out of Brazil and had more and more conversations with people who, you know, are fans of other teams or whatever, you, you realize just how different the perspective is inside of Brazil and outside of Brazil. And inside Brazil, Neymar is this hero. Everyone saw what he did when he was still in Brazil. Everyone loves the fact that he stayed in Brazil longer instead of, you know, negotiating a contract early and leaving for one of the, you know, for a team in Europe. He won the Libertadores, you know, our equivalent to the Champions League. Mm -hmm. He won titles in Brazil before he left. There was a huge call for him to go to the 2010 World Cup when he was still so young. So it, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Brazilian fan who sees Neymar as a weakness, mm -hmm. although some of them, you know, may find him difficult to fit in the team nowadays with Vinny Jr. on the left. Yeah. Um, but Chichi has said, you know, that Neymar is no longer a left-sided player. He's a player that he wants in the middle of the pitch. So that's where he tries to fit him in. Brazil has played well without him recently. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but at the same time, I'd be hesitant to say they're better without him. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons for that is you see a different Neymar for Brazil most of the time than you see anywhere else. And that's, that's fairly typical for, for Brazil players in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a, a fondness for other Brazil players. As a Liverpool fan, I think you've got the best goalkeeper. You, you may have the best two goalkeepers in the world with Alisson and Ederson mm -hmm. at Man City. Uh, Alisson, I think, is going to start. And he is in fantastic form. I also really like Fabinho, the lighthouse, we call him, uh, sitting in front of that back line, a very good potential back line with Thiago Silva, Marquinhos in the center, Alexandro and Danilson, the, or Danilo, the, uh, the, two Danilo yeah. the two Juventus fullbacks. It looks like a team that's going to be hard to score on. Uh, and I like the way they're set up potentially in midfield. Um, but when you get to Neymar, so much in the past has died with him. 
he uh, he never seems to score the big goal when they need it. And he just seems like if we could put him as a luxury option off the bench, we might have uh, a better chance of getting to that final and winning it again. Uh, but let's talk about the team in general. Uh, what are the strengths that you see from your side? Are you excited about this back line? Are you worried about Tiago Silva? I mean, he's getting a bit up there, 36 now. Yeah, Tiago Silva is not actually my favorite starter. I prefer Militão and Marquinhos. Really? But Tiago Silva is still in better form this season. Uh, and Militão in particular at the end of the season has had a real, you know, a worrying dip in form. Um, I think based on the qualifiers and based on Copa America, we might see Chichi play slightly different starting lineups depending on the opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when he plays with Thiago Silva, there's more space between the defense and the rest of the team, but there's a lot of long balls coming out of the back because Brazil's defense, besides being solid defensively, is a very good passing defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if he plays with Milito in the back, he tends to make the team a little more compact and play a higher line. Um, I think the defense is definitely one of the strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, before, you know, until the middle of last year, it was probably seen as our greatest strength. And then we suddenly had this explosion of depth up front. And now you have Rafinha, Anthony, Vini Jr., Rodrigo, and you have to say our depth up front is one of the strengths. And um, regardless of what you think of Neymar, the options around him or, you know, the options in place of him, if it comes to that, are a lot better than they were at the beginning of the qualifying cycle and in, and a lot better than the 2018 uh, World Cup as far mm-hmm. as the, it's just the sheer number of offensive options and what yeah. they offer. Yeah. Yeah, they do seem to have a, a group of young talent that's bursting out. Uh, Vinny and uh, Rodrigo at Real Madrid have had excellent mm-hmm. seasons. Um, now, setting up for the group stage, it looks to me like you got a very tough group and you've also got the same teams that you had in 2018. Uh, Serbia, who are four years on, even better. Uh mm-hmm. They knocked Portugal down to the playoffs. Uh, they have Vlahovic, who's one of the best strikers in Italy, uh, and Mitrovic, who set a new scoring record in the championship. Then you've got Switzerland, who knocked Italy into the playoffs and, and eventually out of the World Cup in a shocker. Uh, Switzerland seemed to be getting better. Now, you handled both those teams fairly easily four years ago. Uh, Cameroon is familiar to you. You had them in the group stage uh, a couple times recently, but what's your thoughts on the draw? Are you concerned about Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon? Do you think you might have some issues winning that group or is it an easy? easy I think it's it's hard to imagine a tougher draw without throwing in say, you know, Germany that was in pot two. It's hard to imagine a tougher draw. Yeah. Um, And you know, I was I was telling you before we started recording that the Brazilian fan has this sort of schizophrenic relationship with expectations. Yeah. And this group is is one of the best examples of that because 
you look at the names and a lot of fans will say, oh, Brazil will beat Serbia. Brazil will beat Switzerland easily, right? And then, um, well, it, it, that's not really the case. We tied Switzerland last time out and we did beat Serbia, but like you said, they're better four years on. We'll be favorites in every game because, you know, the bookies have us as favorites to win the World Cup, uh, maybe what, second or third behind France and, uh, and maybe tied with England. So, of course, you know, on paper, we're favorites, but those are very complicated matches. And if instead of Switzerland and Serbia, you told a Brazilian fan, oh, the group's going to be Brazil, Portugal, Italy, Cameroon, right? The, the teams that, that Serbia and Switzerland bested to get there, they would have a much different attitude. They'd be like, okay, this is a complicated group all of a sudden. Yeah. They'd still expect to win the, the the group with nine points because it's the group and the and it, Brazilians, you know, we it's hard to imagine being eliminated in the group stage. It hasn't happened in my lifetime. Um, but again, it's that schizophrenic relationship that Brazilians have with expectations. You know, yeah. we're Brazil. We should be winning the World Cup. Um, we should be winning the group easily. But if you look at a little more closely, it's a lot tougher than it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a very tough draw. Uh, I think the group next to you that you cross over with could be very tough as well. Mm -hmm. Portugal, Uruguay, South Korea, and Ghana. That could be a group where everybody's tied on the final match day. It's just too hard to call. But who do you want to cross over with? Do you want Portugal? Do you want Uruguay? I think um, it doesn't really matter. Um, Uruguay would be a great rivalry match, but it would be also a match you expect to win at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the World Cup, I guess anything can happen in those rounds. In, ni- in 1990, we got knocked out by an Argentina that was much worse than us, on pa- uh, not on paper, but in the match. Yeah. You know, we hit the post three times. That's one of the first World Cups I sort of remember, the 1990 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you don't really want to face a big rival like Uruguay in the second ma- in the second round of the World Cup, but we handle them pretty well in qualifying. So, you know, it would not be a bad matchup. Um, Portugal, definitely the tough, toughest one on paper. And but I agree with you. I think that group could be very complicated. A lot of people are predicting Portugal, Uruguay, and you know. There's always a group that something weird happens and I, it wouldn't stun me to see South Korea or Ghana come out of that group. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Brazil's actually playing South Korea in a friendly um, this June. Hmm. And it's entirely possible they could, you know, get South Korea in the second round. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a striker, uh, Son Hyung Min, who is a uh, top scorer in the Premier League. And Ghana are just so amped up for revenge against Uruguay for that yeah. <laughs> for that 2010 quarterfinal when Luis, yeah, that's something to look forward to. Luis Suarez handled on the line and uh, Asamoah Gyan missed the penalty off the crossbar. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the great matches of 2010. You remember mm-hmm. 1990? So 94 was really your maybe your best moment. Yeah, fan. 94 is my my first complete memory of the World Cup. 
1990, I was uh, still a kid. Uh, 94, I was in my last year of high school in Brazil. Yeah. Segundo grau, as we call it, or called it back then. It's changed since then. <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember 1994 very fondly. Yeah. That was a great experience. That was a, like I said, it was my last year of high school. It was summer break, or sorry, it was winter break, you know, because um, in Brazil, you know, we go from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, uh, Southern Hemisphere. Um, and we would go and watch the matches at one of our classmates' uh, places. Like every match was a different classmate hosted. And we had a very small class. My, I was in a, you know, I grew up in a very privileged uh, place in Brazil. I went to a private school. Um, our, our school had very small graduating classes. So almost everyone went to someone's house for these matches and we would, you know, watch the whole thing together. And it ended up going all the way to the end and, you know, winning the, the whole thing in the end. And it, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. I, it's kind of the perfect uh, last year of high school and throwing that in the middle. It was yeah. kind of, you know, hard to beat. It must've been fun. Who do you remember mm -hmm. off that team? Uh, who was the standout? Who was your favorite player? What was the big moment? Curiously, my favorite player never played, and that was Ronaldo. Right. Um, he had broken out in 93, and I was, I was already a Ronaldo fan at that point. And I actually wanted to see him play in the World Cup, but, you know, fair enough, he was 17 and didn't get on the pitch. But um, I remember the Brazil-Uruguay qualifier where Romario scored twice, and he was on fire from then and to the whole World Cup, you know, from... Yeah. The, the quality of the goals he scored is just insane. Just mm -hmm. the, the intelligence in the box and the way he would anticipate defenders, the way he would, you know, choose some kind of unconventional uh, way of striking the ball. And, you know, that made all the difference. He's, he's just, he was special. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Babetto. Uh, the uh, the baby celebration when he scored against the Netherlands in the quarterfinal, uh, iconic moment. That game in the quarterfinal, three two Brazil, that was a thriller. Uh, and then Sweden, a bit of a shocker to see them in the semifinal. Uh, there were quite there were a few upsets in that World Cup. Um, yeah, there was Bulgaria and. And Sweden making it, to, I think they both made it semifinals and Romania yeah. to the quarters. It was quite fun yeah. to, to see those, uh, those play out. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great World Cup. Uh, one of my favorites that I remember um, cheering for Brazil at that time. I was definitely shocked to see them not show up in the final in 98 what happened there you're a ronaldo fan what's the what's the background yeah well um so 94 i was in high school 98 i had uh already uh moved to the us and dropped out of college uh yeah. despite the fact that you know i speak fluent english and i have this kind of uh, i have this american background you know i grew up in brazil but i went to college in the us and with my you know, international school and, you know, being able to speak English, you wouldn't expect a, a, 
a culture shock, but I had one. And so I dropped out of college and I was kind of aimless and I started working and uh, I realized the 98 World Cup was coming around and I took my savings and I went to France for the World Cup. Nice. So <laughs> I um, that was quite a summer. Um, and I went to one match, which unfortunately was the other match we lost, Brazil-Norway. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was in Paris for the final, but tickets, you know, I was I didn't have much money left at that stage of my vacation and tickets were <laughs> not really accessible um and i remember uh not actually seeing that match and just hearing about everything later you know i just kind of um i went around the stadium i tried to see if i could get a ticket i went back to my hotel room and you know heard another goal while i was on the uh subway on the way to the hotel and just kind of I, I had to take it all in later and read about everything later. And, yeah. um, you know, my understanding is that Ronaldo had an, uh, uh, symptoms, you know, similar to an epileptic seizure the morning of, mm-hmm. but that led to a whole inquiry in Brazil, you know, Brazilian soccer fans are very, um, very uh, susceptible to conspiracy theories. So that led to all sorts of other ideas. They even had a congressional inquiry about it because it was such a big deal. Um, And Ronaldo had to testify in front of Congress one day, years later. Um, But yeah, they, they didn't show up because they were, you know, Roberto Carlos says that he thought he was going to die. Roberto Carlos, I think was his roommate. And he said some some things about how much, you know, how freaked out he was, because I don't think any of them had ever witnessed something like that. Mm. And he went to the hospital and there he was all clear. He was cleared and came back and said, no, I want to play because that might not have been the best decision. But, I, you know, how could you imagine not playing him if, you know, the the doctor says, well, I I can't test. They're all negative. You know, it doesn't seem to be anything wrong. And uh, it's just a. It's just a weird chapter, you know, where nothing really, there's no fault on anyone's part, but I can't imagine, you know, playing such an important game, having gone through all of that in the, the, the lead up in the morning to the match. Yeah. Yeah. He was a ghost of himself. Uh, the team just didn't seem to have their heads in the game. Conceded twice from a corner to the same player, uh, Zidane. Mm-hmm. And um, they just were not in the game at all. It was shocking. 2002, though, uh, no doubt, Ronaldo, despite his strange haircut, uh, he had that weird patch in the front of his head, remember? Yeah, uh, his, his haircut was, um, back then, I think, um, so it's a, it's a little, it's a cartoon character in Brazil that really, you know, it's one of those things you, you don't get outside of Brazil that haircut but yeah it doesn't mean it was a good haircut but at least we understood the reference you know (laughs) whereas everyone else was asking what the heck was going on yeah Um, what's he doing but more recently i heard him joke in a podcast about how um the coach had been asking him if he was okay um because you know obviously he had recurring knee problems um and and pain and so he did that to distract from all that. So the coach would ask him about something else mm. and uh, not, not worry about his, uh, you know, not inquire too much about whether he was okay or not. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and since then it's been, as you said, um, a succession of European teams that have inflicted some suffering on on the Brazilian fans. Twenty fourteen, uh, it's hard to even talk about it, but that semifinal with the Germans was that your lowest point as a fan? It, you know, it, it made everyone cry, even even the neutrals. Yeah. Nobody wanted to see that, but. Was that the worst moment? You know, curiously, I I think 2010 was more disappointing, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Um, maybe, again, that's because I'm a pragmatic fan. But 2014 was just the culmination of all the, the hype um, gone wrong. And um, this is this happens occasionally before um 2002 as well it happened in 97 where um brazil was consistently peaking the year before the world cup yeah happened in 97 it happened in uh 05 09 and 13 and 13 was you know was at home we had the confederations cup we beat spain the world champions in the final that was a great match brazil played in the final um and so everyone, you know, there was this kind of sense of inevitability for 2014, but there were a couple of um, signs that, that things were already going off the rails. And um, when Neymar was injured and the coach announced that he was not going to change the midfield or shore up the midfield, he was instead going to put a winger out there and in Neymar's spot. Hmm. Um, there were there were a couple of people a couple of good pundits who already kind of predicted that things were not going to go well in the semifinal but you know no one predicted a 7-1 you know no one predicted something like that but um, there were some people who saw that defeat coming they just didn't see you know the scoreline and no one did yeah no one saw that coming and it was painful to watch uh, you just don't think of Brazil having that kind of vulnerability. Uh, I mean, they are the soul of, uh, of soccer. They're the five-time champions. And when you think of Brazil, you think of soccer first. Maybe you think of Bikini Wax second. But, you know, the, the Brazilian, uh, in, in, in terms of the form and the, and the flair, I think this team may have the best balance between defense and attack there's no Ronaldo uh who's going to score goals for you who would you start up front um as your as your striker who would you put in in, in terms of wingers and, and creative midfielders and what does that look like for you do you think there's going to be a uh the right balance going forward I think who you put as a striker you know is one of the two big questions for the team right now and it's you know it's almost June. We have a couple of friendlies coming and, you know, before you know it, it's going to be the final call up for the world cup and things aren't going to change that much between now and then. And, um, and we don't really have a striker on the level we've had before. And Neymar has actually been played in the number nine spot because of that a couple of times. Um, 
And this is another reason why I think Chi-Chi is going to switch up the team every now and then, depending on the opponents. I don't necessarily think we'll see the same forward line against Serbia in the opener that we will against Switzerland in the second match and against Cameroon, especially if, especially if we're qualified by the Cameroon match, then we'll see a, a different forward line. Um, I do expect to see Neymar play in the number nine spot at least once in the group stage. Um, and Chichi has occasionally tried a 4-4-2 um, in between the, you know, most matches where we play a 4-3-3. And if you play a 4-3-3 right now with Brazil, it's Vinny on the left, Rafinha on the right. Without Neymar, because... You know, every now and then he gets himself suspended on purpose for qualifier because he doesn't want to go to Bolivia or something. Um, you know, you we've played Matheus Cunha in the middle, and he's done well recently. The uh, Atlético um, Madrid striker. Yeah, or you could play Richarlison in that spot. He could, he's played mm-hmm. the wings before. He's played in the middle, um, and I expect both of those guys to make the final roster. Um. But if Neymar is available, he's going to play some of those games up front. He's, And that's the big dilemma is how do you fit him in? Do you make him a number nine? You lose something with him as a number nine. But his quality is just so great. And that's why, you know, going back to um, the beginning of our conversation, the, the Brazilian perspective on Neymar is vastly different than the international perspective on him. And the Brazilian perspective is you just can't give up the the, you can't throw out the quality he brings. Like he no. can score like no one else on that team. Right? After all, he he's the leading scorer. He's historically the leading scorer behind Pelé, you know? And uh, yeah, putting him on the bench just doesn't make sense to Brazilians. So he might be the striker uh, come World Cup time. Two players we uh, I want to get your thoughts on both from the Premier League, uh, haven't had great seasons. One is Gabriel Jesus at uh, Man City. Could he be uh, a number nine for Brazil? And where do you see Coutinho filling in, uh, Philippe Coutinho? I think both of those guys are going to be subs. And I think both of those guys fit into Chichi's vision of having, you know, more depth and options than he's ever had before up front. Um, you know, we're recording this uh, right at the end of the Premier League season, you know, and, and uh, just, what was it, less than a month ago, Gabriel Jesus had his uh, resurgence where he scored like six games in four matches or something like that. Yeah. And I think if it weren't for that, I think he might be out of the squad. Hmm. Um, because even though he's a Chichi favorite, he has not scored since Copa America 2019. Um with the influx of new talent, especially on the right wing, which is the position he was playing after, after the last World Cup, he, he was looking like he was on the way out. Uh, and then he had this resurgence and they called him up for the June friendlies. I think he'll make it now, but he'll be a bench option. He'll be an option for when you need a, com- a combative winger or um, possibly if he wants two in the middle up front, you know. There are times when Brazil even plays a four-two-four now, depending on the opponent. Really? Usually not from yeah, usually not from the start, but at some point in the second half, they might switch to a four-two-four. Um, which is one of the rare times when you'll see Casemiro and Fabinho playing together. 
which mm. uh, I would like to see more often, but just does not happen often in Brazil. Um, they're both considered too defensive to play them both at the same time. Right. Um, but but Chichi has given them more minutes together recently than he has in the past. Yeah. And then Coaching is a, a similar thing. He'll he'll be on the bench. He'll be an option off the bench probably. Um, maybe depending on a matchup, he'll start, especially in a four-four-two. He could start as a left mid. As a left wing, I don't see him starting with Vinny Junior as one of your options. So. Yeah. Yeah, Vinny's been on fire. Uh, incredible pace, laser crosses. He's got a, uh, he's revitalized. I think he deserves a lot of the credit for the success that Benzema's had at Madrid this year. Uh, on the yep. right, you've got Rodrigo, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic young player. So there's there's lots of options up front. Uh, what about another Liverpool favorite, Roberto Firmino? Do you think he's going to get in the squad? Where does he fit? If I had to bet today, I think he's out. Mm. Um, I think he still has a shot. Um, but, you know, similar to his, his status at Liverpool, his, his injuries in this, especially in the second half of the season, you know, he, he lost a lot of time to injuries. Um, you know, he'd fallen to the bench anyways because of the um, emergence of uh, Jota and, you know, the purchase of uh, Luis Diaz. But, um, yeah, he's kind of off the Brazilian team right now, but but Chichi seems to really like him. Uh, Chichi really understands how intelligent of a player he is. And I think the biggest problem for him is that Brazil don't know how to play without a number 10, right? Brazil needs someone who's the creative focus of the team. If you were ever, ever to play a, a, say, a Liverpool midfield for Brazil, people would look at it and be like, well, who's our number 10? Who's creating everything? Who's the, the focus of this offense, right? Um, but I think if Brazilians had a different mentality, you could play a midfield like Fabinho Casemiro and I don't know, maybe Bruno Guimarães. Mm. And if you did something like that, Firmino would suddenly look a lot more like he does at Liverpool. He would look a lot more like a dangerous uh, false nine. You know, it, it just doesn't fit for Brazil very well. So when he plays for Brazil, he plays, he ends up being forced to be a pure number nine, less of a false nine. He doesn't get to show off uh, his strengths as much. Mm-hmm. But because rosters are probably going to be expanded to 26, he still has a shot. He still has an outside shot. Chichu really seems to like him. And at the end of the day, if they think that one of the options they need off the bench is a false nine who um, maybe maybe as a substitute for Neymar or maybe you know, in an emergency situation, put him alongside Neymar and let, you know, let him uh, be the number 10, don't really have a number 10 in the midfield. Um, maybe they, they pick him. But right now, I, I think there's a couple guys ahead of him at the number nine spot, and he's obviously not going to take a spot away from any of the wingers that are coming around, uh, that are coming up right now. So it's, it's tough to fit him in that team right now. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to fit all these players into a 23-man roster. 
uh, I tried as part of the exercise, um, had to make some tough decisions. Uh, one young player who has won the number 10 jersey for Brazil is Lucas Paqueta at Lyon. Yep. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Could he be the type of player that I think you call the Cleberson, somebody who starts on the bench, gets into the tournament and becomes an ever-present all the way through? Uh, is he the kind of guy that might be a, a Cleberson? What kind of player is Lucas Paqueta? Paqueta is, um, he's probably a starter right now. Um, if you play a 4-3-3, he's the... He's the most offensive of the three midfielders. Mm -hmm. And um, that sort of goes back to what I was saying. Um, you know, we, we can't really see a midfield without an offensive midfielder. Um, and so he plays that role in a 4-3-3. He plays really well with Neymar. He and Neymar had a really good understanding from the very beginning uh, when Paqueta was, I think he, when he was first called up was um, quite a while ago. But when he really started to show this um, understanding with Neymar was Copa America and the qualifiers after Copa America um, when, when he was given the starting position. Um, and that's when it became clear they had a really good understanding. Um, I think he'll start as the offensive midfielder. If we ever play a 4-4-2, that gives us two offensive midfielder spots in the Brazilian mentality. So he ends up playing on the right in that case. Occasionally he's been played as a right winger kind of, or right mid um, in a more pragmatic 4-3-3, but um, I don't think that'll be, that'll happen that often because um, Hafinga and Anthony will take that spot. Um, so I, th I think it'll start from the very beginning. Um, unless we see some variation in the midfield between now and then. Um, I think most of the experimenting is going to happen up front. And uh, to, to Chichi Paqueta is absolutely a number 10 kind of midfielder or, you know, a, uh, he can play the, the eight role for us as well. So if we want to be more offensive, he can be the second midfielder with Casemiro being the only really defensive one. Uh, Paqueta is in there from the beginning, if you look at Brazil right now. Yeah, you and if you're looking for a Cleberson, yeah, if you're looking for a Cleberson type, you're either looking for Fabinho to end up starting, you know, and and finally for the the for it to click in the minds of Brazilians that Casemiro and Fabinho maybe can start alongside, uh, maybe you know maybe uh, maybe we have a tough game in the second round or at some point in the even in the the, the group stage. And the way to fix it is to have Fabinho and Casemiro alongside each other. And then finally it clicks for Brazilians that, you know what, this actually works. It's not too defensive. It's just right. And uh, maybe he is the one who gets the, the, the Cleberson treatment and starts um, for the rest of the World Cup. Or Bruno Guimarães, who's really spectacular right now, um, doing great at Newcastle. Every time he comes in for a sub for Brazil, he seems to get an assist. Granted, you know, these were late games in the qualifiers when we were already qualified and we were winning 4-0 every match. Yeah. But, you know, the, the guys who come on in those matches, they still want to make a, 
an impact and he, he made an impact every time. Yeah. And um, in front of him is Fred from Manchester United, who is another example of a player who maybe a lot of people don't understand why he's there, but if you look a little, a little deeper, he, he's earned his spot in the Brazilian midfield, but he could lose it to Bruno Guimarães. The, the Cleberson, the Cleberson thing could happen there. Fred could lose his spot to Fabinho or Bruno Guimarães one day. You know, what I don't understand is, you know, you have all these beautiful, lyrical, uh, lovely sounding names. You know, I, I can't quite get the, the accent, but Bruno Guimarães, Fabinho, uh, Neymar, you've got these beautiful sounding names. And then you got Fred. <laughs> How did that happen? How did he end up with the worst name in Brazilian history? And isn't there a way to like, I mean, do Brazilian fans give him a different name like Fredinho or something? No, Fredinho would be weird. It just, it doesn't roll off the tongue <laughs> Fred, like other EUs. Fred is weird. It's um, just a weird name, Fred. It's, it's not Fred though, it's Fred. Oh. You know, you have to say it with a Brazilian accent, but yeah, like sure. It. It's one of the most normal names, but let's, let's be honest. Tiago Silva is a pretty normal name. It's just, you know, <laughs> maybe sounds... we need to throw Fred's uh, family name in there for him to sound more. I think so. Uh, like a standout. I think so. But you like, you like Fredge? Did I say that right? Fredge? Yeah, actually that was pretty good. Um, I would say he's underappreciated for Brazil. Yeah. Um, but I am, I'm one of those fans who think that um, he deserves to be there, but we might be better off if Bruno Guimarães is the starter or even, like I said, Casemiro and Fabinho. I, I don't think a lot of people really want to see Casemiro and Fabinho for the reasons I stated before, but mm-hmm. that could be the kind of thing that you know Brazilians overlook because they don't like that sort of um, pairing, but it could be the right thing for Maybe it's exactly the right thing to to help Brazilians get over their fear of facing a European team in the you know in the quarters this time. Yeah, maybe that's what it's going to take. Yeah, well, if you do get um, if you do get through the group in first place, uh, take the crossover. Let's say with Uruguay, just for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If everything goes out according to seedings, you would get Spain in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. And then the winner of Argentina Netherlands in the semifinal. Now, this is where it could get really interesting. Brazil Argentina semifinal. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, they beat you in the Copa final at the Maracana. Do you feel confident beating Argentina in the semi? Do you, do you think you have the team to beat them? And, and what happened in the in the Copa final? Short answer is yes. Um... You know, let's let's start with the basics. We would be favored to beat them, right? We would be, bookies would put us as the favorites for a reason. A team with Messi can do, you know, can beat anyone in any given day. Um, maybe that's one reason we need Fabinho. Last time uh, uh, Fabinho faced Messi, I think he handled him pretty well. Um, Casemiro, on the other hand, um, probably a better purely defensive midfielder, but he's either going to be, you know, going to miss one of the knockout games due to yellow card suspension because he's, that's happened 
I believe two previous World Cups or one previous World Cup for him, but also has happened in other major games. Um, and uh, yeah, we might need Fabinho to handle someone like Messi, but we'd be favored. We'd be confident. It's not a guaranteed win, but Brazil should win that game. Copa America obviously shows that's not going to happen 100% of the time. And actually, if you look at things a little more closely, you know, Brazil was dominating Argentina throughout the 2000s. But recently, they've had more wins, um, you know, than they had had in a while. So they're definitely, you know, you can't overlook them. You can't overlook a rival like that. But um, I like how you just skipped over Spain. I do, I do think they, they, they could give us trouble and they have a really talented young team. But uh, we did beat them in the Olympic final. And while that's not really a preview of a full, you know, a full international, I think that's a fairly good uh, sign of what might happen in a quarterfinal. Yeah. Um, Brazil-Argentina semifinal, I think, Everyone's looking forward to it. As as you said, you know, if everything goes according to plan, if the favorite teams win, that tends to never happen. But even if that doesn't happen, even if there's some upsets along the way, maybe, you know, Argentina and Brazil are the ones that stay true to form and make it that far. So, yeah, everyone's kind of, if you, if you listen to a Brazilian show, you know, about the World Cup, at some point, they will preview that semifinal. They'll be like, this is something to look forward to. And Brazilians will be confident going into that, that they should win that match. Um, the last Brazil-Argentina was a 0-0. Um, and then the one before that was uh, interrupted after five mm-hmm. minutes because Great. of some ridiculous yeah. uh, stuff that went on uh, in Conma Bowl. You know, oh, why, why are we, as a region, why do we, you know, do these things um and uh, then the previous one was that one zero copa america final the thing about the copa america was the 2019 copa america was the important one for brazil we won that one we beat peru in the final we beat argentina in the semi the 2021 copa america was you know i don't want to dismiss it out of hand it was really important for brazil um for coming up with some of the offensive depth we have now we hadn't really introduced a lot of that talent yet, but there was a lot of um, tactical experimentation. We saw 4-4-2, we saw 4-3-3, we saw Neymar as a striker, we saw Hichardison, Gabriel Jesus, and other guys play wing one day, play the center forward position another match. Um, we saw all of the center backs rotated um, so sometimes you would see Thiago Silva Marquinhos, sometimes you would see Thiago Silva Militão, sometimes you would see Marquinhos uh, Militão. So the the coaching staff really took advantage of that Copa América to give everyone playing time. Fabinho got good playing time in that Copa América, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's weird to say this. It's not the worst thing in the world that we lost to Argentina in you know, in the final in that Copa America, because it wasn't, it wasn't about winning that Copa America. That one was kind of a, a bonus one that, you know, we got to, we weren't even supposed to host it. You know, there was the whole, uh, it was originally scheduled to be hosted by Colombia and Argentina, both of who withdrew at separate times right. due to COVID. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's a weird Copa America, and um, Brazil actually, despite all of that, made the most of it with um, experimentation, and hopefully that serves us better than you know than winning or losing it uh, does yeah. in the end. Yeah. So you're not scared of Spain. You're not scared of Argentina. Who are you scared of? Who's the you team? can't really be scared of anyone, right? Like if you're Brazil, but most Brazilians are kind of scared of France. Yeah. And it, it has more to do with trauma than anything else. So some Brazilians are also scared of Germany, again, because of trauma <laughs> rather than anything no else. No kidding. Um, and then Brazilians are just generally scared of the quarterfinals right now because, you know, uh, again, Serbia is a really good team. We get them in the group, so we have this attitude that, oh, we're going to win the group. We should win the group with nine points, despite the fact that we only won with seven points last time. And, you know, the draw was with Switzerland, who's in our group. Um, but that's the Brazilian mentality. We're, we should win the group, and then we start worrying about, you know, the World Cup. The World Cup doesn't really start till the quarterfinals, some people will say, mm. for Brazil. Um which again, you, you don't really want to overlook that second match if you get a rival like Uruguay. But the quarterfinals a traumatic experience for Brazilian fans. Yeah. Um, and if you were to put, say, Serbia in that quarterfinal, suddenly the schizophrenic Brazilian fan would be like, "Well, here it is. This is the European second-tier team that we're going to lose to this time." <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, in the group stage, they're like Serbia, you know, whatever that's going to be an easy win. Mm. You know, it wouldn't be an easy win at any stage in the world cup, but it's the fact that it's a quarterfinal. That's more scary for Brazil than anything else. Interesting. And then France or Germany would be scary at any stage. Yeah. But the quarterfinal will be scary no matter who it is. Yeah. Yeah. There is, um, <clears throat> there is a history of European teams being that roadblock four years ago. It was Belgium. Um, Neymar had the chance uh, denied by Courtois. Mm -hmm. It just didn't go your way that day. But, uh, you know, the lasting memory that people have of Neymar is that uh, he does tend to draw the fouls, look for the fouls. He tends to fake the injuries. He tends to call attention to himself. Um, this is all hindsight, but maybe if they had dropped uh, Neymar or put him in a different spot, maybe they win that game. I don't know, but is that the kind of the, the kind of obstacle? I think I don't think the Belgium game is a good example of that because it's arguably our best game of the World Cup in two thousand eighteen. It's a good one particularly the second half, Brazil just overran Belgium. And one of the problems was we had given up two goals in the first half, not one. Um, I don't have the stats with me right now, but uh, Chichi rarely gives up more than one goal a match. Like if you've given up a goal um, as a Chichi Brazil team, you know, that's about it. You're, you're not likely to give up another goal. There's a couple of rare occasions where that happens. One of them was against Belgium. One of them was one of the qualifiers this cycle. Every other qualifier this cycle, we gave up zero or one goals. Never more than that. 
Um, and one of the goals given up was that freak uh, corner that was turned in um, uh, as an own goal hmm. um, by Fernandinho, if I'm not mistaken, who's just cursed in a Brazilian uniform. Yeah. Because as good as he is, when he plays for Brazil, he seems to be cursed. Um, and so, you know, there's all this negativity around that uh, quarterfinal because it, it, you know, felt like a a cursed event, right? Like you give yeah. up this own goal. The second goal was a weakness that, you know, was exactly the weakness that Germany exploited in 2014, the left-hand side. Marcelo on the left, um, counterattack, um, De Bruyne scores. Um, and so you're two goals down against a goalkeeper like Courtois having, you know, who's playing, you know, one of the games of matches of his life. Hmm. Um, Gabriel Jesus hasn't scored all World Cup. He earns a penalty in the uh, box, but it's not given because probably because Gabriel Jesus is too young. It doesn't have the experience to earn to make sure that penalty is given. And what happens is he dribbles outwards. So the ball goes out. If he's dribbling, you know, and making sure the ball stays within the lines, um, that penalty by company on, on Jesus is given. Um, but Jesus dribbles to the outside, gets taken down, but the ball goes out. So it's like, eh, is it really a penalty? That ball was going out anyways. A little more experience and, and you know, that's a penalty. And that's, that's a case of um, looking for the foul in a legitimate way, you know, which is what Neymar is also really good at. But it gets bad when he feels like he has to do all the work and then he's you know, doing nothing but looking for the foul or doing nothing but trying to draw the game to him. Um, but we had, you know, many chances and it wasn't all Neymar in that game. And uh, Douglas Costa come in, came in and had a really good game. And if he had been healthy in that World Cup, you know, the things could have been different. But that's one of the reasons why Chichi is really pleased with uh, his depth right now is it he felt he was limited for offensive options in 2018 and some of that was due to injury. And some of that was because, you know, he didn't really see any names coming up that he had to bring in that could replace guys like Douglas Costa who were really good, but prone to injury or William who was useful, but you know, maybe not a game changer. Um, but yeah, I think that Belgium match is just, sometimes you play your best match of the world cup and you still get eliminated. Right. Yeah. I mean, it happened to Brazil, 1990. Mm -hmm. Some of the other eliminations were not like that. 2006 was not the best match we played, you know, and 2014 was certainly not the best match we played when we got eliminated. 2010, we played a good first half, but I don't think you can call that the best match of, you know, that Brazil played in that tournament. The second half was abysmal. Um, and 2018 is just unfortunate because Brazilians have this attitude that if, I think I mentioned this uh, either at the very beginning or maybe even before we started recording, if you don't win, you're just the first loser, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's really not a fair, fair evaluation of that uh, Belgian performance. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think there's uh, a unique 
uh, approach to this team now that I have never seen. I try to remember the last time Brazil had uh, really strong defense, excellent goalkeeping, uh, two of the best defensive midfielders in the game. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fair to say 94 might have been comparable defensively. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2002, we won, but we also went with a completely different setup, you know, playing a 3-5-2 to kind of protect ourselves. Whereas 94 was just, you know, the whole defense was solid and you had Dunga and Mauro Silva in the middle and those guys were spectacular defensive midfielders. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos Dunga. Um, excellent defensive midfielder, Claudio Tafarel, great mm-hmm. goalkeeper. Um, but this team has great solidity. If they can figure out how to score some goals, um, they're not going to concede too many. And maybe this is the time that Neymar really puts the team on his back. He's not the captain, but he is their most important player. He is the guy that they're going to look to. Um, do you think he can do it? Do you see Neymar lifting the trophy at the end of this tournament? Um, I think he can do it. And I think the key is just a slight difference from what you said. It, it's not Neymar carrying the team on his back. It's if he can be, you know, a motivational leader, if he can be a set, if he can lead by example, again, not as the captain, someone else will be the captain, probably Thiago Silva, maybe Casemiro. But, um, a Neymar who plays for the team, a Neymar who, you know, doesn't try to carry the team on his back on his own um, is a positive. You know, no matter what anyone outside of Brazil thinks, like Brazilian fans um, are going to be more hopeful with Neymar than without. And he has to be, he's absolutely a key part of that team. He's a key part of Chichi's plan. And, um, I think the key is Chichi harnessing him properly and taking advantage of the fact that he's not the only outstanding talent now. You know, mm-hmm. we have a really solid defense, really solid players in a lot of places, but now we also have a couple of superlative players besides Neymar, one of them being Vini Jr. And um, maybe that's the key to getting into a World Cup and. Um, being able to harness Neymar and not, not making him feel like he has to do everything by himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've mapped it out. I think we've got a team that will beat France in the final. There'll be Samba in the streets. There'll be Capoeira. There'll be Caipirinhas. It's going to be exciting, my friend. I'm so glad that you joined me. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time, for chatting and uh, obrigado. Valeu. Yeah.